Good evening. Uh, well, yes, I am Nate. I'm not Scott. <laughs> and um, I, it's an honor and a privilege to be here and, and uh, to share God's word. And uh, it's, it's a joy that you guys are all here as, as we get to do that together. Um, let me open us up with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. And uh, we thank you for, for this body, the, um, the joy that we can have together by, by joining and uh, surrounding ourselves with your word. Uh, it's just an incredible thing that, that only we get to experience, your children. Uh, so I pray that you be with us now as we, as we do open your word and um, that your, your word would go forth and not, not mine and uh, not anything but you. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So because I'm not Scott, I'm not going to be continuing in Daniel, uh, taking away from his wonderful handling uh, of Daniel. Uh, we, we will take what we were talking about tonight. We'll surround around Daniel. But I wanted to leave that, uh, leave that for him. And it, it reminded me of this, uh, this time uh, I, was, I was still in the Army that, you know, we, we go on these long ruck marches. We call it a ruck march. We put heavy weight on your back. Uh, you carry a lot of equipment and you walk, usually uphill. And particular one, it was uh, about a 20 mile ruck march. And I was the, my job was to carry this heavier weapon than the normal weapon that everybody carried. It's called the saw. Uh, and I carried this the whole way through. And, and a mile a mile away from being back, all of a sudden these guys come from behind me. Hey, can we help you? I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm carrying this through, and that's how I picture with uh, uh, with Daniel with Scott. And when I, I for a second entertained the idea of continuing um, where he was at, and I'm gonna let him walk this in. So, so we're gonna be talking about Daniel. Uh, my my hope is that it will it will supplement what we've been hearing in in the study of Daniel. Uh, a little bit of a recap, but more than that, it, it's, it's, an, it's a look at the overarching theme of Daniel, which is that, that all things are under the sovereign control of God. And, and looking at various portions of Daniel um, that, that you guys have already, already covered. And so, let's see. All right, it's up there. Yep. So in his hands is, is the, the title of, of today's message. Uh, and if I wasn't mic'd up, and especially if this wasn't being recorded, I would ask you guys to sing along as he's got the whole world in his hands, right? He's got the whole world in his hands, the whole wide world in his hands. And then what usually follows, if you're singing this with a kid, uh, he's got mommy and daddy, he's got my pet dog, or whatever the case is, he, he adds the, the things that that comes to, to the child's mind, and and really, this, this song, Into Those Little Details, uh, covers what we're going to be talking about tonight. From, from the control of the whole world to the very little bitty details, he's got it in his hands. So the way we have, we're, we're going to divide tonight is, is with this basic outline here. Uh, he's got the whole world in his hands, every detail, every nation, and beyond. 
So as we dive into this, we're going to start off with, with every detail. Uh, I'm not going to just talk about my son the whole time, I promise, but I'm going to talk about him one more time at least. <clears throat> um, we've been doing this, uh, this walk with him where we take through our neighborhood with, with a little microscope, this like little mobile microscope, and we'll stop and it looks ridiculous, I'm sure. All three of us are on our bellies, like on the sidewalk, and cars are driving by. Um, but we're looking at, at God's creation down to the little tiny details with him and, and sharing with him how, how God uses tiny little things to build these magnificent big things. And, and you could break down almost anything in the world to, to view it in, in tiny little details. And it, it made me think of what we're talking about here is, is that God, God is the creator of all things. And not only of physical things, but he's the orchestrator of life and history and has chosen to use fine details of our lives to build the bigger things that are going on throughout the world's history. That every single one of us play a part. That every single one of us, even the the ordinary things that we don't think are important, are important in, in God's plan. And so that's what we're talking about here when we're, when we're talking about God. God has every little detail in his hands. Um, an R.C. Sproul um, quote that is, has been shared often here is, uh, he said, if, if, there's only, if there's one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. We, we, don't, we don't usually think that way. We, we know that that's true, that God's word has declared it so. Um, but every single thing is in the control of God. So where do we see this in Daniel? Let's take a look at, um, turn to Daniel chapter 1. It's a good place to start. Somebody took Daniel out of my Bible. All right, there we go. Daniel 1, verse 1. And as, as our dear pastor has, has often said, get ready for some, some goosebumps here at the verse that we're going to take a look at. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. I, oh, that's it. <laughs> it's verses like this that, that we just glance over the, the, ordinary, the ordinary things such as, as time. The, the, see, the things that we're... The details that we're looking at right now with Daniel have to do with things like time, have to do with things like who was in control when... Who, who was in place when these things started happening. That Daniel happened to be... And I say happened. You, know, you, you guys know what I'm saying. But what the world would say is what happened to be was that Daniel was alive at this time and was a, uh, a mature, at least late teenager at the time, to be chosen from, uh, from Judah to, to be part of this, this group of, of people in, in, uh, in Babylon that got kidnapped, basically. But all of these things come down to God had, God had Daniel ex- born exactly at the right time. 
God had Daniel born with the appropriate genetic makeup, even, that allowed him to be in the position that he was when, when the, event, the events of Daniel take place. And, and we'll talk about it a little bit more a little later, but the gen- genetic makeup has a lot to do with the picking of these people. That the, the, when Nebuchadnezzar picked these, these people, these youth that were going to be part of this group that he's going to train up, one of the things is how they look. Are they good looking? Isn't that interesting that, that God would use even the way Daniel was, uh, was designed, the little details uh, of, of who he was to, to bring about the, the bigger picture uh, that, we, that you guys are very familiar with here in, in Daniel. So let's read through um, the next few verses. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his, of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding, discerning knowledge, and who, who had ability for serving the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice, choice food. And, and I won't read the rest, but that, that Daniel and his friends are among those that are chosen. That that, that choice led to Daniel being in the place to be in a position to where he's going to be used the way we have seen him used, uh, be used. It, it, all, it all matters. The who, what, where, um, and when of these verses. The, the things that we would call the ordinary uh, details and the ordinary facts surrounding the bigger story of, the, uh, of Daniel, they all mattered. They all play their part in that bigger picture. So, so we're, we're looking in into our metaphorical microscope right now um, and observing that, that the means by which he brings about the bigger picture are, are details, details that we don't think too much about, details that, that he has in his hands. And we see uh, a couple other, uh, other examples of this. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 1. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. You see, everything that God built up Daniel to be is playing, playing a role in getting into that right place with the kings that he served under. And, and God gives this favor in, in the eyes of those, of those people. Um, and, and in, I'll kind of summarize this one, verse, verses 17 through 21 um, that, that God gave the knowledge and intelligence that not one was found like Daniel and his friends. And then at the end there of verse 21, Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. So getting back to, uh, I, I mentioned uh, the genetics of, of Daniel. What, what if Daniel was ugly? 
Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> if Daniel was ugly, he wouldn't have been picked. Okay, like you could follow that, that train of thought down and to a point where you don't want to go, but to where, okay, if his parents didn't meet, well, if his grandparents didn't meet to create the person that he was, and all of that just sounds so uh, chaotic to us at, at a human level, but to God, it's just part of his plan that he's using from the very beginning till the very end. The details of how his parents met. The details of, okay, now we're going to get married. All those different things. Uh, what if Daniel was, was lazy? <laughs> you know, any, any of those things. Um, all of those details matter. So according to verse 4, he would not have been in a position that he was if he wasn't who God had created him to be. Matthew 10, 29-31 gives us a little more insight on, on this idea of him being in control of the details. Not two sparrows sold for, are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall into the, onto the ground apart from your father. But, you, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I made that a little easier for him to count. Um, but but that, th- this is not speaking of God's knowledge, simply God's knowledge, that he knows when things happen. This is speaking to his, that these details are in his hands. That he knows when the sparrow drops. Do you think the, the details of our lives matter? Wow. And, and what a humbling thing to, to think about. That we're not just some uh, by chance creatures going through this life doing what we want. We are a part of a big picture. Bigger than we'll than we know right now. This speaks to his, uh, to his control. One of the, the key doctrines at play here is that, we're, that we're discussing is the doctrine of God's providence, that he is in control, that there cannot be that rogue molecule, that he preserves his creation. You see, we... I think we, it's easier for us to understand his sovereignty in creation. Oh, of course, he spoke things into, into being. He, he, is, he is God the creator. He is sovereign. Well, he doesn't just create and then let those things go on their way. He continues in his sovereignty in persevering. So he, he didn't create, create and then get his hands off. He was sovereign in his creation, and he remained sovereign in his preserving. And uh, one of my favorite verses that that speaks to this is uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 17. If you'll turn there with me. Cold hands don't uh, turn pages very well. Colossians 1, 15 
through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, speaking of Jesus here. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth. So there is God's sovereignty in, in creation, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And then verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. His persevering of his creation is, is just as amazing and have to stand back in awe of as his creation is. That he has worked out the details of our lives and the, uh, the details of history to accomplish his purpose is an incredible, incredible thing. So it's, it's, with, it's with this understanding of God's um, providence that we can understand verses like Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, we'll, we'll read a, a few verses there today. Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. This is uh, uh, today's equivalent of, of throwing a dice, of rolling a dice. That every single time one of those decisions is made, God, God has a purpose. That God is in, has that in his, in his hands. But so as the conversation usually goes when we talk about God's providence, providence, you usually hear something like, okay, so is, is God just some cosmic puppet master? Absolutely not. God is completely sovereign, but man is also completely responsible for his actions. But they, they are used, man's actions are used to carry out the purposes of God. And so this introduces a, another important doctrine at play, at play here today. The doctrine of concurrence. That he uses our actions and decisions, good or bad, to bring to fruition what he has planned and purposed. So it's, it's that our actions concur or agree or go along with, with his greater purpose. And so uh, back to Proverbs uh, 16, verse 9. <clears throat> the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. So you see... God uses the decisions that we make to bring about and the details of those decisions to bring about his greater purpose. But I want to give a, a, just a quick little warning here. This is not what, what uh, um, Dr. MacArthur in his biblical doctrine book um, refers to as cooperative synergism. This is not cooperative synergism uh, th- this is not God hoping that we are going to f- follow through with our end of the, of the deal. God is never wringing his hands. Oh, if they just do what I need them to do. God is completely sovereign and we are responsible for our actions. 
Isn't that interesting? <laughs> and somewhere in eternity, it, it will make sense to us. At least that's what Spurgeon says, is that there are two railroad tracks and that they look like they never intersect. But if you look out in the horizon, you see that they, they become one. And the sovereignty of God and, and man's responsibility is a... Uh, um, could keep you up at night. But I wanted to make sure that I made that clear. Concurrence is not a cooperative synergism. So, so back to Daniel, looking at, looking at Daniel, uh, Daniel's work ethic, Daniel's uh, dedication and commitment, um, his intelligence, his desire to be physically fit, all of these things that he is doing, that he is purposing in his life to, to seek after and to, uh, to excel in are all used for God's greater purposes. There, there are two examples in the Bible that really wrap up this idea, uh, uh, the idea of providence and concurrence together just about perfectly. And, and the first is the story of Joseph and his brothers. We're all familiar with the story. Out of jealousy... Uh, and hatred, Joseph's brothers gain up, gain up on him and, and um, beat him and sell him into slavery. And not only that, on the other end, they lie to their father, who J- Joseph was, was their father's favorite, um, and they lied about his, uh, a horrible death. Um, that's false. But they, they, all of this jealousy and hatred are taking place, uh, and, and we know that Joseph ends up in, under Pharaoh and under um, great opportunity to, to do amazing things that, for, for God's people. So, so through these evil acts, these disgusting things that the brothers do, what, what does Joseph have to say about it at the end of his life or at the end of the story in, in Genesis 50, verse 20? He tells them, and remember, they're, at this point, they're, they're terrified because they, they think that now that their dad is dead, Joseph, Joseph's going to finally get his vengeance and you know, get, get what's, they're going to get what's coming to them. Well, Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. See, that... That is how God's, Joseph said that, but that is God's word. That is what God, uh, that's the idea here of providence and concurrence, that the actions of Joseph's brothers concurred with the plan of God. Even though they were wicked and evil actions, they concurred with the plan of God because God used it for the good. And that's what Joseph is recognizing here. So it's, it's important to note here that he not only uses the good ordinary details in the affairs of man, such as we're reading about in Daniel, that he, was, um, that he used the good characteristics of Daniel to accomplish his will. He uses them all, even the evil. That's, a, that's what Proverbs 16, back to ch- Proverbs 16, verse 4 tells us that the Lord has made everything for its own purpose, 
even the wicked for the day of evil. Now, this is hard. This is hard because we experience great difficulties. We experience injustices and uh, um, deaths. And I'm not standing here saying that God expects us to be happy with everything we experience. But we can be assured that the difficulty we experience is being used in some way in the purposes of God and often for our growth. it's, It's hard to see through the tragedy when you're in it. When we were talking about Daniel right now, he was kidnapped and taken, exiled from his home, from everything he knew, to a godless people, a godless land for the rest of his life. We, we could say today, like, oh, thank God for this because we could see it all. I don't know if that was going through his mind at, at the moment. And, and, and I, I just want to say that to say that we, we experience difficulty and it is okay that we don't see the end, that we don't see the why. But we have to know that everything is under the control of a good, good God. And that's something we can count on every time. <clears throat> so, and it's because of these truths that we do not grieve as the world does. We still hurt and grieve, but with, with hope. So the best, the best way that we see these difficult truths, providence and concurrence, I believe is in the, the events leading up to the crucifixion of, of Christ. We have the betrayal, the arrest, the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior. And you have to consider all the different actions uh, by the different people that, that culminated in what we would say is one of the most, it's, it's the most wicked act of all time. But it's also the most glorious act in redemptive history. The cross of Christ. So, so you, you, you take in, in mind uh, Judas... Um, uh, Pilate and all the, the illegal trials that took place. All of these things and, and, and the demonic influence and motivation behind it all. You see, all of those things were at play to create what we would, aside from Christ's resurrection, what say is the most uh, wicked if the if the, the if the resurrection weren't true, which it is, thank God, um, it would be the most wicked, horrible event in the world, and God used it to bring about the greatest act of all time, and that's what Peter tells us in Acts two, twenty two through twenty three. He says, "Men of Israel, listen to these words: Jesus the Nazarene." A man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through, through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. You see, we have the, the actions of man, the, the, 
everything negative about what's going on here. But then we see that it was the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. That's what's being accomplished through their, their actions, through their, their evilness. And so, God works in our lives today using every detail. Every detail of our lives are in his hands. So we could take great courage in this, that God is at work using all things. Romans 8.28, right? All things. And we need to remember this when, when we start believing the lie that we don't matter, that all I do is spend time at the, at the desk all week, that I, I come in uh, and serve at ministry, but I don't think it, at church, but it doesn't really make a difference. It does. Everything that God has going on in our lives matter. And what an encouragement to think that, that God desires to use our actions. That should motivate us to, to seek more opportunities. A, a lot of people have the, the backwards view of this when they say, okay, if God is in control, I could just do nothing. No. When we have this, this relationship of his providence and, his, and, and concurrence in, uh, aligned with each other, it motivates us to do more because he desires to use us as the means of his, of his work. That's incredible. So in his hands are every detail. And, and moving on, in his hands are every nation. So we're putting our metaphorical microscope aside and, uh, and getting a view of the bigger picture, uh, what God was doing through, through the details of, of Daniel's life. This, is, this would be the, the fifth W, the why. Um, and we have to be careful here. We have to be careful to assign meaning to every detail we encounter. Um, sometimes it's plain to see over time, such as the case is with Daniel. Uh, but it's not always so. We cannot say, okay, this is happening because God's going to do this. I, I just, you know, jo- Job's friends did a poor job of telling him why he was going through what he went through. Don't, don't make the same, same mistake. Felt like that was a, a need of, of mentioning at least. So we see this, this fact that God has every nation in his hands all throughout Daniel. I mean, we're not, we, wouldn't, we couldn't cover it all in one, in one sitting, how much, how much is in there about that. Um, but we're going to take a look at, at chapter 2 to bring home this, uh, this truth about God's sovereign control of the nations. So Daniel 2, uh, beginning in verse 20. it again. All right. <clears throat> Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever. This is, this is his, um, uh, his reply to God revealing, revealing the, the dream to him. This is his, his praise to God. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. 
It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matters. And then, and then moving on to, um, let me just read both of these and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Daniel 2, 31 through 33. And, and th- so this is his, if you remember back to chapter 2, this is his describing of, uh, of the statue, of what, what the dream was that Nebuchadnezzar had. Uh, he says, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. So, So God has every nation in his hands. That first, the first uh, uh, section, 20 through 23, he, he just straight out says it. He says, it is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes the kings and establishes kings. And then in this, the vision of the statue, God is revealing who each empire is going to succeed. And, and, and with, with clarity, as I'm no doubt you guys have gone into great detail uh, on that, that with clarity, because God is in control, because God knows and establishes, he can give Daniel this vision. <clears throat> so this, this succession of, of nations that, um, that are revealed in this, in this vision, in this, in this statue, he goes on later uh, and, and describes that that's the case. So, so one, once again, it is easy and comfortable for us to, to sit here today and look at the history of the people of Israel with confidence, right? Because we see the whole story. We can say, like, it, it's good what they're going through because of what is gonna, the outcome is going to be. That's, that's easy for us. It, it, it isn't so easy um, when you're in it. <laughs> and, and especially considering the implications uh, uh, of what's going on here. Um, what happens if God's people are extinguished? The, the satanic motivation behind the constant attacks of Israel, uh, go, going back all the way to Genesis 3, when there was enmity between the serpent and the seed. What happens if the line of David does not continue? These are things that are hard for the nation to, to understand and to go through in, in the midst of it, it is much easier for us to sit back and, and say that, that it, it, it was a, a good outcome. But it's still, it's a moot point because just as our individual daily actions cannot work against the purposes of God, we take great comfort in the fact that large world-altering events cannot thwart the work of God. That there's nothing that any king could have done to the children of Israel to stop the plan of God from coming about. And isn't it amazing as you, you put that into context of it, the people of Israel, when you look on a, on a map, it's hard to find because of how small it is. 
But that land is creating issues around the whole world because, because Satan still hasn't given up on that. But God has them in his hands. We can be assured that God is, is at work. Um, and one of my favorite ways that we see that in, in Daniel, uh, back in chapter 1, we already read it, uh, verse 21. It says that Daniel continued until the first year of, of Cyrus, the king. And, and he's later introduced in chapter 10 when, he, when Persia um, succeeds. So, so as, as a new godless empire takes reign over Israel, what is God doing behind the scenes here? What, what, is, what is happening with, with God's usage of Cyrus? Well, we, saw, we, we see in Isaiah 44, uh, 28, this being 150, written 150 years before Cyrus, um, God declared, It is I who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, She will be built, and of the temple, your foundation will be laid. What a, what a, a strange thing to have written 150 years uh, prior to Cyrus if if this wasn't going to be, if he wasn't going to be the one that actually fulfills it. It's just so amazing to, to think that, yes, this is a, a new godless empire taking reign over Israel, but God is at work. God is behind the scenes, and, and he says, I am going to use this guy who will be born in 150 years to bring my people back to the land, even though they haven't left yet, but he said that so long ago because the nations are in his hands. And we see this, uh, um, this happen. It's fulfilled in Second Chronicles 36, 22 and 23. Uh, that, that God was setting up a situation where he would be glorified and the good of his people is accomplished. God is in control. He's got every nation in his hands. And we see that in uh, Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And so, God works in our lives today. Oh, but he hasn't met the leaders that we have today. He has. He's created them. And, and he does, he uses them. What does he have to say about that in, in uh, Romans 13, 1 and 2? Every person is to be in, in the in subjection to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God except in California nope no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves 
So what does God say about the leaders, even the wicked ones that we have today? That he has them there for a purpose. And all of his purposes are good. That's what we can count on. Are there times it is God's will that we disobey the authorities? Yes, yes, there, there is when we're being forbidden to do something that God commands or when we're being commanded to do something that God forbids. Um, as, as Peter said in Acts, we, we must obey God rather than men. But even then, it's not something that escaped his grasp. Like, oh, one got away. Even then, God has it all under control and is working things together for Romans 8.28, our good, and Ephesians 1.11, for his purposes. Ephesians 1.11 says uh, that he's working all things after the counsel of his will. That those are the things he's accomplishing. We may not see it because we're so... Uh, we're so in the middle of it. It's hard to see, but yet it's, it's still something that we can count on at, at every, every turn. So in his hands are every detail, every nation, and most important of all, and beyond. Can't help but think of Toy Story, but... And beyond. You, you see what... What the statue in Daniel represents, yes, the, the empires to come, but at, at a higher level view, it, it represents man's desire to rule. Why else would Nebuchadnezzar, right after he gets the, the message of the dream, build a, a, a statue of all gold when he was only supposed to be the head? No, I'm going to take it all. It's all about me, is Nebuchadnezzar. And that just represents, that's, that's how man is. And our, our failure as mankind is, is to, to fail to realize that there is a beyond. And, and even more so, that the same God that is sovereign over his creation, the actions made by his creation, creation, the same God that is sovereign over the nations is the same God that is sovereign over eternity and all matters of the spiritual realm. If you have followed along uh, with the, the home group's Bible study, you, you've been going through that message that the world ha has failed to see the one thing that matters. And, and he's the one thing that they need. And he's the one that has control over it all. And they just turn their back. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, 35, um, the, the, the statue, vision of the statue continues. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The stone being Christ will obliterate the kingdom of man. 
that we think we're building, not we, us, but mankind. The kingdom opposed to God. And then verses 44 and 45. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. This final kingdom that we're so eagerly waiting, eagerly waiting for in the succession of the world kingdoms is the final and ultimate one, never to be replaced by another. So, brothers and sisters, what a place we have in Christ. In the hands of God, whose purposes are good, it's, it's only with these truths in mind that, that we could sing um, the, the stanza that we're not singing right now from Jesus I my cross have taken that has been just going in my mind ever since a couple Sundays that we, we sang it Sundays ago that we sang it and the, the stanza says go then earthly fame and treasure come disaster scorn and pain in your service pain is pleasure with your favor loss is gain I have called you, Abba, Father. You, my all in all, shall be. Storms may howl and clouds may gather. All must work for good to me. We, we've only but dipped our toes in this vast pool of God, the providence and con- sovereign control of God. But how glorious it is. This is, this is our God. He has you in his loving hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Every nation, every detail, every nation and beyond. Pray with me, please. Lord, we thank you that you are good. Lord, you, you choose to use wretched sinners such as myself. To do, to do, be about your kingdom. And Lord, we see that it's so that you can be glorified because we see that it can be nothing of ourselves. And we thank you, God, for your sovereign control. We thank you that you care about the details, that they matter. We thank you that you're in control of the nations. And God, we thank you that our eternity rests in your hands. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.